Welcome to the Software People Stories. I'm Shiv. I'm Chitra. And I'm Gaiti. We bring you interesting untold stories of people associated with the creation or consumption of software-based solutions. You'll hear stories of what worked and sometimes what didn't. You will also hear very personal experiences and insights that would trigger your thoughts and inspire you to do even greater things. As part of the series focusing on women in the month of March in 2022, I am in conversation with Purnima Shanoi, the CEO of Hummingbird Advisors. In this conversation, Purnima shares her thoughts and experiences related to how she started her own company, Nexus, almost 30 years ago, and getting some marquee customers, and how she has seen the industry grow by attracting people with non-IT backgrounds, and later on. getting into corporate world working for for profit companies and also in the non profit world of nascom an industry body she shares her experience in setting up the india semiconductor association the first of its kind in india establishing an industry forum on the lighter side she also talks about her perception of the differences between software and hardware professionals without stereotyping them and we talk about whether work from home is actually a challenge or it is a plus for women and finally we talk about her book called accelerating her business and that freedom for women is always there and they just need to exercise it very interesting conversation listen on Hi Purnima welcome to the software people stories Thank you Shiv so excited to be here today Actually when I mentioned that I'm going to be talking to you my co-hosts were very excited though most people know you I think it will be good if we can start with a self introduction and how you got associated with IT in general and what has been your career trajectory we will take it from there Very interesting question Shiv I think by default anyone who has been in bangalore for a few decades involved with the it industry in some capacity or the other so when i started uh, working more than 30 years ago after my mba my dream was to be in advertising and market research and that's how i started my career 3 years into a career i felt i had to do something as an entrepreneur if i wanted to look for a job change i could not find any way of doing it So that's how I set up Nexus. I had a co-founder, and we got in the business of HR recruitment. And who was our first customer? Wipro. Who was our second customer? Infosys. And when you have two stellar clients like this, who are willing to trust a 25-year-old, uh, you can only go up. So when people talk about professionalism and supporting women and supporting entrepreneurs, I think Infosys and Wipro were. leaders and far ahead of their time and that's how one got into the it industry may not be as a developer but very much as part of the system that built great people and great industry yeah that's a wonderful start so the question that has always kind of confused me are there easy ways to identify the right people for the right jobs particularly when it comes to it talk so much of tech or jargon that it becomes a little difficult to identify the fit for a particular role because we talk about it being or software development being a team sport so when you are 
doing this as a service for others that to you know growing companies i'm sure there have been pressures of time pressures of uh, numbers or volumes so how did you go about handling that uh, i think uh, one of the things that happened in the early days of the it industry is that they got uh, leaders from outside uh, there were not very many people in the system you had only a couple of companies who had a history or a longer span in the space but a lot of time like if you see mr suter from wipro he came in from external to the it industry so uh, the industry actually flourished with an incoming of talent who had different mindsets and had seen growth in other sectors so i think one thing that stands the test irrespective of the industry is integrity of their person and their passion to contribute to their job after that it doesn't matter nobody is asking a manager uh you know what are his coding skills uh so the lot of the work we did at that time was really into leadership as well as mid level recruitment and there is something i don't know whether you call it instinct or gut but i find it very strong in my speech i have very strong gut and instinct and very rarely has it failed me so you could say that played a very important role in getting good people for good roles and you know even two decades later when i meet some leaders they still recall our early meetings and how they got around to these key roles and how they grew so you could say we did something right uh some of it may be luck some of it may be hard work and of course the talent of the people who we were teaching actually through this podcast what i'm trying to do is to see if we can understand the individual journeys and how each one prepared oneself for that yeah. so whatever is your success if somebody else wants to get into this space or even for i think this is a skill that any manager would find useful of how to develop your gut so to say is that possible i'm not sure you can develop your gut but the rest of it you can do uh, there's really no substitute i say for hard work i work very hard sometimes i hear people saying that you'll have a burnout but if you are very passionate about what you do and you like what you are doing it doesn't become so much of hard work okay so i don't think uh, we uh, one I, i never counted the amount of hours that i put in so um but what i like really like about running my own business is that it gave me flexibility uh, i had a daughter young daughter at that time my husband was also working full time so how do you balance it you know you pick her up at 4 o'clock from school and then 4 to 8 is going to be her time then 8 to 10 or so you focus on closing up your business for the day so it meant juggling a lot of stuff it was incredibly tough i'm not going to say it was easy at all but if you if one has to go on one has to hang in over there and that's what i think a lot of women should do i mean i can't give advice to today's girls they are so smart and i wish i had their smartness when i was their age but i think uh, being committed to what you want to do like being a professional keeping to your timelines not giving excuses i'm working hard there is really no substitute for it but of course in the end of it you also need a bit of luck uh, and like i said a bit of gut feeling and those two i think they have to come to you you can't get them otherwise so what made you move out of this role then you moved on to do a lot of other things right we still have the rest of the podcast to Yeah. yeah so uh she be mentioned something earlier and i really like that you made me think i never saw my life 
like this. So I would put my life or my career, uh, professional life into three buckets. Uh, one thing is the corporate world where I work for uh, industry, which are prof- for-profit companies, you know, whose goal is to maximize their profits, and hire people and focus on salaries and targets and Excel sheets and business plans. Uh, okay, we all know this. There's words that everybody keeps hearing about. Yeah. Uh, times change, but the expressions don't go away. The second part is the not-for-profit not for world, which is where I work with NASCOM and set up the India Semiconductor Association. And these are organizations that are key to the growth of the industry. But they're helping others grow, not necessarily with the goal of making money for this. But tra- without trade bodies, industries would find it very tough, especially in policy making. And the third part, which I see for myself is as an entrepreneur, running my own business with a goal to make money, but being very, very passionate about it. But in all of this, none of this would work if you're not passionate about it. You cannot be working for somebody or supporting a not-for-profit or working for yourself if you don't have that passion. So if I'm not interested in something, I will not do it. So either I should be 100% into it or I'll step aside. There's nothing that you can do 50% or 80% or less than that. That seems simple, but then I guess it takes a long time to put yourself fully into one thing and do that. Because there will always be know. some distractions. I don't know otherwise, Shiv. I wish I did. I don't know how to give less than 100%. So I don't know whether it's a plus or a minus. But that's the way. That's the nature of the beast. Stepping back a little bit on your association with NASCOM, I just want to uh, abstract it a little bit and have uh, two questions based on that. One, from say being a service provider in the corporate sector or even as an employee in the corporate sector, where a lot of things are defined. Hmm. At least you have some goals, you have maybe some specific uh, domains you work in or specific things that you need to do. Two, Setting up something new, like your ISA, where there is no precedence or there is no benchmark to say that this is what this can do or what some other association somewhere else has done, will the same thing be possible here, etc. How do you even conceive of the goals or some milestones that tell you how you will make progress? So that is the first question. So uh, let me address that question in context of setting up IASA. Mm-hmm. Uh, IASA is the India Semiconductor Association. Uh, I was employee number one and we set it up in 2005. Uh, along the way, they now become the India Electronics and Semiconductor Association, but at the core are semicon companies. So uh, when, when we set it up in 2005, it was not even registered. There were 33 companies who wanted to become uh, members so right from getting great leaders, committed folks who wanted to make it work very well, you know, the, we wrote the constitution of the uh, industry body. And I think it's the first time in more in 25 years that India was having a trade body starting from scratch. Earlier to that, I think it was NASCOM. And then there was CII and FICI, which had history of nearly 100 years. So starting a trade body from scratch, but not copying others, but trying to do something specific for a sector, uh, there was challenge, I will tell you. And I had people 
people say, you know, why should I pick up an ISA member? You know, trying to find the answers for that where uh, you're satisfying industry. You are selling to government the concept of a separate sector called semiconductors and electronics and trying to making them focus on it from a policy perspective and then trying to make sure there is bread, butter and jam to run the green body. So there was corporate, there was not-for-profit, there was entrepreneurship, it was all in one. But the best part of it is, and I always say this, the semiconductor industry has the best human being. And the average person out there is a master's or a PhD and the bachelor's is from a top-notch university. So I think it rubs off on everybody working there. I was so, I still think I was so very fortunate uh, to be there in that space. I still have deep relationships and I do business with the sector. But 2005 to 2022, I'm so happy when the government has given electronics and semiconductors so much of importance today. What we started more than 15 years ago has grown into such a big... At the risk of uh, getting or not getting into the stereotyping mode, uh, do you see any big differences between, let's say, software thinking and hardware thinking from the people you've interacted with? One important thing to understand is I'm not an engineer. And I saw it as a singular plus because I did not get embroiled into technology. I could see it as something to build from the outside. I'm very poor with electronics. I cannot get electronics. And semiconductor industry, people will talk of DFM. I didn't know what they were talking about. So I could very happily say, you know, I'm not an engineer. I don't know any acronyms. I don't understand what you are talking about. Simplify it for me. And also it helps simplification because when we're talking to government on policy matters, neither they do understand, they also don't understand economy. At least with the government, I could speak the language that they understood. Okay, so that was a plus. Um, the other difference which I find is software is the industry of MBAs. It is from my perspective. And the hardware is the industry of the MTECs the, and the PhDs. Totally different mindset. Hmm. Yeah, I never looked at it that way. So, second question. Since uh, this is also part of the women's special series for the Women's Month, if one is not part of a body like NASCOM or ISA, are there opportunities for women to contribute or to influence the sector, whether it is while having a regular job or when you are taking a career break? I'm not sure how to answer question shape because I don't think being a part of a trade body is actually aiding a woman's careers wise to speak. It could aid any professional's career because it gives you a platform for visibility and contribution. So that's on one hand you're talking about leadership and visibility and contribution. That's on one part. The second thing is about women who are taking a break or who are coming back to work. I'm so glad today there are so many platforms for women to do that. So uh, I support Aspire for Her, which is a community platform for working women, and they have a very strong vertical on return to work. And Amazon and HSBC and all of these corporates work with them specifically to source women who are wanting to come back to work. So I think corporates today are very uh, cognizant of it, that you know uh, you cannot cut out 50% of the workforce because they're having your babies. So uh, I think it is good what is happening today. Still, there's lots more to go, but I think the start is good. The next one, again, with a 
a focus or a curiosity on how some of your experience can help other women. The difference you see, you mentioned working in corporates, both large corporates as well as you've been an entrepreneur working in a startup kind of environment, uh, being an entrepreneur or working in industry bodies. Are there any tips for women to prepare for a transition from one to the other? I think uh, as women, we need to have more confidence in ourselves. Uh, women are often so apologetic and self-effacing. Uh, I don't think that is needed at all. I think the women are incredible. Okay, we manage, uh, so we actually we manage so many things simultaneously. And we do very well in each one of them individually. I realized very early in my career is that I needed to have confidence in myself. Be the, take the initiative to build a relationship. And I think networking is something that women can do much better. You know, a lot of a lot of things are often old boys networks and women are not part of it. But now you have uh, women's networks and women's groups who are incredibly supportive of each other. So I think, you know, uh, today's girls, uh, if they're committed, uh, a lot of them are very committed. I think they're on to a good trajectory. India as a country has never had an issue in STEM subjects for women. And I often get very mystified when we, people talk about increasing the women in STEM in India. Please look at all of South India. See the number of girls in computer science and electronics and the BSCs in mathematics or all related space. STEM is not a problem. Entry of women into the workforce is not the problem. But retaining women at the mid-level, that is where the problem is. And I think that's what companies like PCS are doing a singularly great job. How do we retain women? How do we give them flexibility? How do we get them to come to work? That is going to make the difference. So has this work from home changed anything or impacted or put more pressure on women? I hear two sides of it. Uh, on one thing, you know, uh, people who live in small homes, you know, on uh, people, uh, it's, let's say in certain cities where they are very cramped accommodation. If you have the husband, wife, and a child in the house, it's very difficult to have your Zoom calls peacefully. For example, and you know, to have meetings. The child is also in their online class, so they often have a problem. You know, how to find space, physical space for each of them to work and do well. But on the other hand, I I think it's a very good plus for women because it will keep them in the work. You know, the whole problem was I take my child to a crash, I drop my child to a crash, then I go to office and the evening I rush back, I pick my child, I go home, I cook. Uh, you know, everything is so segmented and separate. And I think for women that becomes often very difficult. So work from home, I feel, is helping a lot of women to stay in the workforce. And organizations are also realizing that you can be sitting in any tier one town or tier one two town and delivering. So it's no longer necessary that you have to be working 12 hour days from office, physically from office. You can deliver as well sitting somewhere else. So in my perspective, for a lot of women, uh, work from home is helping them stay engaged and employed. So when women take a career break, is it better to look for entrepreneurial options when they want to come back or is it better to go look again for some corporate kind of roles? Entrepreneurship is not easy. There is no switching off. Okay. Uh, for example, when you, uh, I'm assuming, I'm talking women who are coming back to work. Uh, you have medical benefits that are available. You can uh, take leave. Okay. You can take a break. 
uh, and you know corporates are understanding up to an extent because they too want to retain good talent in their workforce but uh, when you are an entrepreneur you have uh, let's say medical off or holidays are questionable unless you have a super roaring well good business the entrepreneur also is responsible for paying salaries to people on the first of the month so she has to not she it cannot afford to switch off at any point of time mm-hmm. in india we have data which shows that the bulk of women entrepreneurs are nanopreneurs or solopreneurs so in those contexts it works well freelancing works very well consulting works very well but if they're building an organization as an entrepreneur uh, i don't think it's an easy thing at all it's an incredibly tough journey so why did you choose to become an entrepreneur again Ah, uh, the first time I became an entrepreneur is because I had a bad boss. Hmm. I could not see myself working with her. She made my life so miserable. So I said I I could not see myself working with her, but I could not see myself doing nothing. Okay, and I felt there was a real need in the market for what I wanted to do, and that's how I became an entrepreneur. Okay, uh, so that's how I started. But I feel that there's a lot of scope for people with lateral thinking. People are willing to work hard. So entrepreneurship is a viable option. The interesting thing shift is today uh and this is something uh, you know I keep talking at women sessions is that women should not hesitate to talk about money from day one hmm. whether it's your salary or the fees that you're going to charge your customers or your funding or even your simple accounts so many women are so good in everything they do run away from the money angle so i too wish you know i had started speaking unhesitatingly about money from day one not waited until i had to do it but are there enough data points available for women to start these kinds of conversations i think we should proactively start doing this kind of things when one was younger or i was younger you know uh, uh, we were brought up i think it's a typical you know the brahmin if i may say in quotes the brahmin household where women never talked about money okay some of you know you worship saraswati but not lakshmi but i think both goddesses are equally important in life mm-hmm. one feeds into the other mm-hmm. uh so um, i think we should have these conversations uh with our daughters and uh, talk to them about negotiating better salaries or mm-hmm. asking for money where it's due and not hesitating about it it is not being greedy i mean it's about having value and placing a value to yourself but nowadays you find that uh, at least in the it industry sometimes the demands if i may call that from team members seems to be a little unreasonable because the market is hot and for certain skills they say no i am getting some many x it it's no longer you know 0.5x 1x and so on and you hear really bizarre kind of numbers so what changed from yesterday to today that one can go and say that now i need more so a similar thing of course it's not limited only to women yes uh, but then uh, i guess it probably becomes a little more challenging for women like you said to go and then ask for these kinds of raises i'm actually hearing a lot of horror stories about it but then what do you say about employers who give people blank check and tell them you sign what should be your joining bonus mm. okay that too is happening in the market right mm-hmm. two to clap but i feel very sorry for all employers today and especially if you're a young startup how do you attract your company is the talent that you have how do you attract people you know resource has to be worth it salaries have to be worth it but sometimes 
established companies are paying so much of money. I think it, I, I don't know when this is going to end, but when I speak with people, they say next one or two years, industry is going to face. Okay, so I think it really depends on a person's integral integrity. You know, if I have signed on to do a particular job, let me complete it. Let me not jump from one job to another without completing it just because someone is going to pay me more. I mean, that is my philosophy, which is right or wrong, I don't know. Mm -hmm. I'm making a lot of money. Mm -hmm. I would rather be happy uh, uh, delivering what I set out to do than chase money, you know, which will always come and go. So is that, without revealing too much about your recently launched book, what has been your experience that you are sharing in the book? Why did you decide to write the book in the first place? So Shiv, um, thank you for bringing it up. Ever since I was 14 years old, in standard 9, I wanted to write a book. Okay, and every every decade, you know, mm. every few years, I will say, you know, uh, after my daughter is older, after I finish this project, or after I do this, the only good thing that ever came out of COVID is that I got time to write the book. Mm. There was no commute, there was no travel, and suddenly, you know, one started thinking in a different fashion. And I found a wonderful co-author, Supriya. You know, we complement each other extremely well. So we got down to writing this book. And it is actually uh, about uh, four women entrepreneurs. Women entrepreneurs have different needs. And how do they grow their business? And how can accelerators and incubators and the ecosystem support their growth? So that is what we are seeking to uh, address in this book based on our experience of accelerating more than 100 startups. So it's a very practical handbook. There's no theory on it. And uh, we hope it will be useful. And not just now, but going down the road, it should it should stand the test of time for the next few years at least. It's called accelerating her business. Wow. I think that is something that is sorely needed because the understanding of what support is available in the ecosystem I think is probably a very good step for everybody not reinventing and trying to go through the same kind of challenges. Yeah, I come back to the money story again, Shiv. So when I did my first business, I went to a bank, a public sector bank, because we didn't have very many private banks at that point of time. And a 25-year-old had really no guts to go to a city bank. He went to the nearest public sector bank. And the manager told me, he said, do you have your husband's permission to take a loan from the bank? Mm. Okay. And I went to another government, semi-government organization. They said, what is the services business you want to do? And you remember this was in the 90s. Mm. Yeah, it was just pre-boom of service sector. Mm -hmm. And I said, you know, this is it. He said, Why, where is your warehouse going to be? Where are you going to store your goods? Mm -hmm. I said, there are going to be no goods. There's no warehouse. Okay. And he said, then what will you give us collateral? Okay, I think from then to now, the journey has been, is, I know, it, it's been interesting in terms of the way people are viewing services business, but the struggle to get money still continues. Every entrepreneur does not raise millions of dollars from a venture capitalists. It's uh, very interesting because one of our guests earlier, you know, she had gone to Delhi. And had been asked the same questions. You know, do you have your husband's permission? Will your father guarantee whatever you are? You know, will uh, the collateral be provided, etc.? Yeah. I think from there, probably now things have changed. 
uh, a few years ago when i had uh, i was running my edtech startup called latitude i went to oriental bank of commerce where i had been my banker for 25 years so the manager at the residency road branch asked me the same questions which i had been asked oh. 25 years earlier hmm. okay are you the signatory hmm. will husband come and be the co signatory okay. nothing had changed in his mind hmm. okay so uh, and i believe there is a very prominent state government funding corporation which still wants a husband to sign as co signatory for the collateral that is I think change is happening, but may not be at the speed at which women are changing. Yeah, we tried to touch upon this last year, but I guess I'll ask the question in a slightly different manner. Uh, in addition to whatever support is being provided, or whether companies are considering, or what is there in the ecosystem to support women, what is the expectation from women of men, so to say, in general, to support women in their careers, in their ambitions? whatever they want to do uh, like you mentioned it is not just at work i think even when you went to the bank the kind of uh, attitudes or the kind of uh, probably systems that they are used to how can the narrative change to make it easier for women yeah so uh, there's a very interesting line um, that uh, i've heard and sometimes people have told this to my husband you are not bad you have given your wife freedom to do what she wants <laughs> and i say freedom is always there it's not you can take it away you can't give it mm. okay and what is this business of giving and taking freedom everybody has a right to earn their livelihood everyone has a right to pursue their dreams and their ambitions why should it be by gender we bring up our girls and boys very especially in like bangalore we bring them up to the same kind of rights and duties so how can you at a certain stage of their life curtail it so freedom is there you have the full opportunity if you don't take it you are losing out on life other people cannot dictate what you should do and can't do yeah that's good you mentioned earlier in the context of uh, say money asking what one deserves similarly how what is the easiest way i don't know if it is easy to say that this is what i want to do or don't want to do it may be about your career doing something different it may be getting into probably an entrepreneurial space which uh, normally is not you know doesn't have too many women etc so uh, my thing is that like i said earlier everybody i mean especially in cities like bangalore and i would think in a lot of cities in southern india uh, my exposure to the north is a little limited so i cannot comment on it but in south of india we give uh, you know the first born if it's a girl we call them lakshmis and you know uh, there's a great joy in the family when daughters are born and i think girls should get that opportunity because parents are giving the same opportunity at every stage of their life to both brothers and sisters so nothing should stop the girls and make them hesitate everything is there you just have to decide what you don't like maybe that will help you eliminate things that you don't want to focus on but then run with what you have a passion and what you like it's not necessary that everything has to be about a career it could be some other passion it could be about running 
I love walking. I'm at Cabin Park every morning because I love the air and I just like the whole ambience. But it could be anything. My friend Maya Chandra, who's a filmmaker, is photographing the flowers of Lal Bagh every morning, and each flower every day has a different angle. He's a filmmaker. So if we follow our passions, uh, given the opportunities that we have, I think women are on a very good picket. So thanks, Purnima. I think that is very reassuring. And uh, if I got you. Probably the place to start the conversation first should be in the family, with your parents, with your siblings. Is that a fair way to rephrase what you said? Absolutely. The family is the starting point for everything. You know, for uh, what we are is shaped uh, right from our birth and our childhood. And families, I mean, we have definite data that educated mothers uh, have uh, deep thinking sons and daughters. I mean, this is not minimizing the role of the father. The father, of course, is equally important, but the mother is also equally important. And data shows us it is so. The family is the core of what we become in our life and how we shape our children and influence society. Thanks, Purnima. On that note, I think we've run out of time for this conversation. I'm sure this requires a far more detail and a much larger platform to take this forward. A few things that you said, I think are not some things that will get solved overnight, but at least as these conversations happen, I'm sure that there will be more understanding and more contributions that will be highlighted. Already women are making a lot of contributions that this will be known and some of these social attitudes should also change. Thanks, Shiv. You made me really think. I hope I've not said anything controversial. Uh, I'm generally a peaceful person unless right. So I hope I've given enough stuff to you and thank you for making me see and think of things in a different fashion, in a different manner. Thanks. Thank you. We thank Siddharth for the music and Anita for promoting the software people's stories. If you like this episode, Please subscribe on your favorite podcast client and spread the word in your network. If you'd like to share your story, contact us at podcasts at pm-powerconsulting.com.